In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity, tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism, immersive and intimate stories. I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. The maternal mortality crisis continues to have a profound effect on the country. The United States has the highest number of pregnancy-related deaths of any developed nation. And during the pandemic, those numbers increased. According to a new report by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, maternal mortality rose for the third consecutive year in 2021. The number of maternal deaths was 1,205 in 2021. That's up from 861 the previous year. The maternal mortality rate jumped 54% for Hispanic women, 39% for white women, and 26% for black women. And while the CDC's report covers maternal mortality during the height of the pandemic, factors like age and other pregnancy-related illnesses factored into the number of deaths reported. Why do Americans continue to die during childbirth at a higher rate than other developed nations? What resources do expecting parents have to combat the crisis? We'll discuss those questions with our panel and hear your stories. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into, so stay with us. Feel like the world is on fire? Shortwave is your antidote. We find joy and beauty in the science of the planet we live on. How people are taking action in the face of climate change, the many weird and wonderful ways animals have adapted to a changing world in the past and present, and how technology is pushing us forward. Listen now to the Shortwave Podcast from NPR. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics Podcast to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail, and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened, we tell you why it matters. Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes. On the Code Switch Podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant, and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR. Let's get into the conversation. Joining us to discuss is Dr. Jamila Parrott. She's an OBGYN working in D.C. and the president and CEO of Physicians for Reproductive Health. Dr. Parrott, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be back. And with us in studio is Akila Johnson. She's a reporter covering health disparities at The Washington Post. Akila, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Parrott, what is behind this jump? We're talking about an increase 
of more than one-third in 2021 than, than the previous year. Unfortunately, there's no easy, straightforward answer to why we're seeing this increase. It's it's really a combination of things. What you stated at the outset is absolutely 100% correct. The United States experiences the highest rate of maternal morbidity and mortality as compared to any developed country. And we're seeing this trend worsen. When we look at the rise in the rates, uh, we have to look at the way that we're counting the numbers. We, we have to acknowledge that historically, we have not done a great job in measuring and counting the rates of maternal mortality in many communities. Um, a few years ago, uh, with uh, the rise in the public conversation around maternal mortality, largely led by black women activists and advocates on the ground, we've seen this topic come into the public view much more. That also spa- spawned an increase in the number of maternal mortality review committees, an increase in attention to counting maternal mortalities at this, the, the community, the state, the federal level. And so we're getting a better, I think, handle on what the numbers actually mean. And when you begin to count things consistently, then you sometimes see a rise. But what I will say, in addition to the the statistics or the epidemiology behind it, how we're counting these things, we also know that conditions in our communities are worsening. Access to health care is worsening. Uh, we know that during the COVID-19 pandemic, the same communities who are more likely to be impacted by maternal morbidity and mortality are the same communities that have that had higher rates of infection, hospitalization, and death from COVID. So we really see this, um, this Venn diagram that has become a circle for many of our communities. We mentioned the maternal mortality rate rose for Hispanic women and white women, but black women continue to have the highest rates of pregnancy-related deaths with 69.9 deaths per 100,000 live births. Akila, what specific factors are at play there? So it's a, like, you know, Dr. Pruitt said, it is a multifactorial issue, but there are some things that are unique to black women's experiences. And so, um, one of the main ones that people that, – that there's a growing body of research around that I don't necessarily know that the general public is so much aware of is the weathering hypothesis. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with the accumulation of stress that um, black women experience really in utero throughout the course of their life until they are, you know, of childbearing age and ready to give birth. And that has to basically do with when your body is constantly being flooded with stress hormones, it it wears down our systems and it causes us to age prematurely. And then when you add pregnancy on top of that, which, you know, your body is going through all of these physiological changes, it it creates this kind of... um, perfect storm, shall we say, where you've got, you know, increased blood volume. And so all of your physiological systems uh, are supercharged and the the way that they've been worn down, it creates this kind of perfect storm where you you experience increased complications in pregnancy. And then add on top of that, you know, the, the stressors that cause black women to weather. So you've got dismissal of symptoms. So when, you know, you quite often here, and there's research showing black women's symptoms are dismissed when they are um, giving labor and that, you know, quite often they're more often scolded when they're in the hospital. And so the stress that you're experiencing up until that point, then you're experiencing throughout pregnancy. And it can create some really kind of cataclysmic changes that create some of these complications that not only create mortality, but also morbidity, which, you know, those are the near misses that 
we don't quite talk about as much, but there's research that shows for every maternal death, there's 100 instances of severe kind of life-threatening complications that women experience. Dr. Parrott, at what stage of pregnancy are we seeing the biggest risk for fatal maternal health complications? We typically see these complications uh, towards the end of pregnancy and during the postpartum period. And after the time after delivery is one often missed or under-discussed uh, time period for maternal mortality, but we see almost a third of all maternal mortalities occurring in um, the, the up to one year postpartum. And so um, that risk can, can shift for many communities, but typically it's in the latter part of pregnancy. And I actually heard Dr. Kamara Jones describe it perfectly when we think about how and why this risk impacts black women disparately as compared to other communities. And she was talking about this in the context of infections for COVID-19. And she said, we are more affected because we are less protected. And I think that that is absolutely similarly true when we talk about the risk of maternal mortality for black women throughout pregnancy, but in particular during the postpartum period. Well, and Akilah, I wonder in your reporting, what you found around the focus on uh, a woman's health postpartum as compared to the focus on focus on the infant's health, mm-hmm. right? So there's that first check-in with to make sure the baby is is healthy. But how much focus is is being given to the other patient in that scenario? Well, right. Most most attention tends to be focused on the infant. And so one of the things that research has shown, even if, you know, you compare how the U.S. handles um, postpartum recovery compared to other high-income nations, normally there's like one six-week check-in. And, um, you know, mothers quite often describe it as quick, uh, kind of, hi, how are you? There's a, some checklist of things, you know, and then and then you leave. And so then that's, that's it. Whereas in other... Uh, Our peer nations, there are more postpartum check-ins. They are longer. Quite often there are home visits that are done by midwives or doulas. You know, midwives or doulas are something that we don't have integrated into our health ecosystem the same way um, our peer nations do. And so during that postpartum period that was just referenced, you know, you've the fourth trimester, you have all these things that could be happening, but so much of the attention, like you said, is put on the little, keeping the little life um, alive and sustaining that little person that mom quite often gets, um, she, she, some, she and doctors don't think about her symptoms the same way. Headaches can be indicative of a whole host of, of, medical complications, fatigue. Well, you're a new mom. You're stressed out. You have a headache, right? You are fatigued. And so it comes to really having trusted providers who are able to help pay attention and understand what those symptoms might be indicative of. Well, let's go to our voice mailbox. Here's a message we got from one of you. My wife uh, delivered three babies here in the United States. Uh, Two of them were in traditional hospitals. One of them was in childbirth center. And I think the traditional hospitals are missing communication between the doctor who is delivering the baby and the team of doctors who saw the mother before she got to the hospital. It feels like the doctors are almost in a rush to deliver the baby. And it's kind of sad that you see the increase in mortality rate. Uh, When you go to a childbirth center, actually there is personalization to every mother because every case is different. And in the hospital, it's like they treat everyone the same. Thanks for that message. And we'd love to hear from you if you've experienced challenges through pregnancy or in that postpartum 
period. What was your experience like? Did you feel like your concerns were heard? Email us at 1A at WAMU.org. Dr. Peart, we heard in that voicemail a concern about the continuum of care, that maybe the doctors who saw you through the pregnancy aren't necessarily the ones doing the delivery for you and that there's a disconnect there. How do you respond? Affirmatively, absolutely in agreement with that. And and we have to really look at the way that the healthcare system in this country was structured, the way that it is shaped, and the way that it has been sustained. The reality is that in the United States, the healthcare system, including the maternity care system, is a for-profit system of healthcare. And that absolutely shapes the way that folks are able to experience a holistic care or not experience this holistic care, care that is community-grounded and culturally responsive, uh, is is critical to improve outcomes for our communities. And we don't always have the time, the space, the capacity, the support to provide that degree of care within our institutions. It's critical also to understand that the obstetric care came out of a legacy of midwifery care led by Black grand midwives in the South. And they were systematically discredited uh, and their uh, credibility was really destroyed by the American Medical Association and OBGYNs who were coming in in an attempt to absolve this care, uh, absorb this care, excuse me, and to take this profit for themselves. But they left the community behind. So what the caller is talking about is part of this legacy. This is the fruits of this legacy that we're seeing today that is manifesting in inadequate care, inaccessible care, and care that is disconnected from the needs of the individual. We got this message from Karen who says, maternal mortality is exactly one of the reasons I am a birth doula. As a birth doula, we help with physical, emotional, and informational support before, during, and after the birth. We provide continuous support for the family during a vulnerable, intimate, and beautiful time. And Nancy emails, these statistics scare me so much. I have two daughters. Both are about to get married. I've told them both that I will be in the hospital when they give birth, and if something seems to be wrong, I will make so much noise. The hospital staff will not be able to ignore me. This should not be happening to any woman. Akila, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, the median age at which women gave birth in the United States increased from 27 in 1990 to age 30 in 2019. How does the age factor into the rise of pregnancy-related deaths that we've been seeing in the last few years? Um, Well, the older you are when you give birth, uh, you know, well, let's say this. In the U.S., if you give birth over the age of 35, you're considered geriatric pregnancy, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of hosts as the older you get in life is when typically you see more chronic conditions set in. And so as we go back to that kind of weathering hypothesis that I mentioned earlier, your body is kind of not as prime, shall we say, as it is the younger you are to give birth. So you're more likely to have, you know, according to research, increased complications. But women are also waiting longer to, you know, to have children uh, in this country, more career options, more education options. And so with that comes postponing childbirth until, you know, you are ready to do so. And so we're seeing this kind of conflict that's Mm -hmm. happening. But, you know, you also hear from a lot of um, OBGYNs and midwives that just because you are giving birth at an older age doesn't mean that you can't do so successfully and have a healthy um, pregnancy and outcomes. It, But you go back to 
some of these issues that the email, you know, that that emailers have brought in, callers have have brought in and, you know, that it, it requires having a team that listens to you and that you trust to help you make it through pregnancy successful. And more and more in this country, there's a breakdown where that trust doesn't exist, that communication doesn't exist, and it can create I mean, lethal outcomes. Well, the CDC report focused on deaths related to pregnancy and childbirth, and it included conditions like preeclampsia and pulmonary embolisms. Uh, Dr. Peart, what types of health complications are most common during pregnancy that can lead to, to death? We know um, from from research and the data is really clear that there are a handful of the that are the top uh, five or so uh, risky conditions. You name them: bleeding, certainly high blood pressure, blood clots. Uh, so we know what we can direct our attention to. But it's important to understand that at the time of delivery, that is literally a moment in time. And when we think about the the outcomes for our communities, and particularly Black and Indigenous women and birthing people, we know that it's it is more than what is happening at the point of care that is shaping our ability to survive pregnancy and the postpartum period to raise our children. It is the community and social supports that are there or that are not there. It is our ability to have paid family leave, pay uh, equity, to be able to access the care that we need in our community uh, for with by performed by people who look like us, who speak the same language that we do. All of those things shape uh, whether or not someone has a greater likelihood of dying during pregnancy in the postpartum period. So yes, it is high blood pressure. Yes, it is blood clots. Yes, it is heavy bleeding. And it is the lack of social support and community support that we need to be able to not just survive our pregnancies, but to thrive. How are you thinking about the ways the pandemic has impacted maternal and pediatric health? Um, I'd love to hear from both of you. Dr. Parrott? The COVID-19 pandemic simply exposed the fault lines in an already faulty system. It didn't tell us anything new. Uh, for those of us who have, pre- who have been providing community-based care, we have seen these inequities play out for decades. And in, and in, in this country, in reality, this has played out for centuries. So although COVID was certainly critical and we saw an increase in the number of deaths and near misses, as Akila mentioned, we also know that it did not begin during COVID uh, and it will not end now that the, the COVID public health emergency has been removed. Akila, your thoughts? But it did, it exacerbated a lot of, of what was there. So in terms of having an advocate who is in the room, who can scream and holler, like the emailer said, COVID uh, restrictions made it to where a lot of folks couldn't have extra people in the room with them to to be that extra set of eyes and ears and advocates. You know, we also see in this country that one third of deliveries are by cesarean section, and that comes with a whole host of complications. And, you know, we've heard anecdotally during COVID, there was an increase in, in cesarean sections and inductions. And so there's a whole kind of cosmos of of, constellation of things that were just exacerbated, like so much that happened during the pandemic. The fault lines were there, and then the pandemic just blew them up in ways that are really quite unimaginable. Coming up, Black residents in Washington, D.C. make up 90 percent of pregnancy-related deaths in the city. We speak to a midwife and the co-founder of a collective of Black birth workers filling in health care gaps in the district. Stay with us.
There's a lot to stay on top of on any given day. You might have to break things down into smaller pieces in order to keep up. That's why we're introducing the new Consider This newsletter from NPR. Every weekday, we sift through all the day's news and bring you one big story in an easily skimmable format. So you become a mini-expert on a major topic each day. Sign up for free at npr.org slash newsletter. From the campaigns to the conventions, from now through Election Day and beyond, the NPR Politics Podcast has you covered. As Joe Biden and Donald Trump square off again, we bring you the latest news from the trail and dive deep into each candidate's goals for a second term. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast every weekday. On the Code Switch Podcast, conversations about race and identity don't begin or end with the news cycle. That's because we know race and identity impact every person and influence every story. We're getting into all of it with new voices each week on the Code Switch Podcast from NPR. For the seventh year on the Code Switch Podcast, conversations about race and identity go way beyond the day's headlines. Because we know what's part of every person is part of every story. We're bringing that perspective with new episodes every week. Listen on the Code Switch podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the discussion by adding a new voice. Aza Nadari is the co-founder and executive director of Mama Toto Village. That's a collective of black birth workers in Washington, D.C. She also runs a private practice called Blue Sage Midwifery. Aza, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Now, Mama Toto Village provides maternal care in D.C. The district has the highest rates of maternal mortality in the U.S. relative to its population and a maternal mortality rate that's well above the national average. Aza, what services do you provide to D.C. residents? So Mama Toto um, provides a suite of services that really live at this intersection of direct services and workforce development. Um, our services include home visitation for pregnant and parenting people who receive a team of healthcare workers who provide childbirth and parent education, social support navigation, which we know are critical drivers to maternal health outcomes um, to help families achieve stability, mental health resources, fitness and cooking classes. We have a boutique that provides essentials such as diapers, wipes. We also provide classes to the community, um, such as family wellness workshops. And then we have workforce trainings because our intention is to really diversify our perinatal workforce with midwives and community doulas and lactation consultants. So we provide a stepping stone for those individuals into those career pathways. You mentioned home visits. And when we talk about families that may have limitations around transportation, how is imp- how important is it that you go to them, that you bring the care to their home? Bringing care into the home definitely mitigates some of those barriers that we are consistently seeing around transportation, around child care, um, around sometimes people just not feeling safe um, to navigate the environments that they are existing in. And so our perinatal health workers are actually from the communities that we serve. They are sometimes our clients who have went through our workforce training and are now working um, themselves as home visitors. But it is so important to bring that resonance and care, that cultural resonance um, into the spaces and places and where people are. It's also served as a mitigator 
for maternal mortality, Mama Toto, over the last 10 years of delivering services here in the district, we've maintained a 0% maternal mortality rate after serving almost 2,000 people. And that's because people are going into the spaces where people are, whether it's their home, whether it's in the shelter, um, to, to check on them, to see them, and to provide the care that is much needed um, across the reproductive and life course spectrum. Well, we're hearing from lots of you. Adele emails, the only way my voice was heard in the delivery room through my, quote, geriatric births were due to my strength and insistence of my needs and having advocates in the room with me, a strong, experienced, and amazing midwife, my husband and my mother. And Jesse emails, we opted for a home birth in part because of hospital death rates and the ever-increasing push for scheduled C-sections. Having a one-on-one relationship with a midwife was a godsend. A Dr. Parrott, Uh, Here we have Aza, who is working to fill the gap in care for D.C. residents. What role can midwives and doulas play in helping to improve access to care, but also outcomes? The research is really clear. Midwives like Aza and the ones that she's training at Mama Toto's Village really have transformed the landscape of our healthcare system. And again, midwifery care is not new. It is something that has grown out of our community, that has remained in our community. The problem is that it has not been equally accessible to everyone who wants or needs it because we have prioritized uh, obstetric care through the delivery of care uh, by physicians above alternative care models. And and I call them alternative, but but as I said, they are not alternative. They are the original care models. And so midwifery care, uh, pregnancy and labor support, our community doulas and perinatal support workers are uh, critical in helping us to get out of this mess. Uh, but there's also work to do across multiple sectors. Everyone doesn't want or need a midwife. Everyone doesn't want or need an OBGYN. And every person deserves an opportunity to make the decisions that are best for themselves uh, during this pregnancy, for their families moving forward, and to have access equitably to those resources. Aza, you're part of the D.C. Government Committee reviewing the maternal health crisis. That review found that between 2014 and 2018, Black residents in the city made up 90 percent of pregnancy-related deaths. Seventy percent of those were people living in wards 7 and 8 in the southern part of the district. What is it about those areas that make it unique? dangerous for Black pregnancy. The space that creates the threat, um, it's as Dr. Toby B. Elliott, who's the new CEO of Mary Center, expresses, it's to sustain high-intensity trauma. And I can't say the acronym on the air, but people can write it down. Um, but it's the hist- historical neglect of the communities in D.C. that are predominantly Black, which happen to be east of the river. The episode of pregnancy is a moment in time, right? It's a critical and sometimes determining moment, but there are multiple intersections that impact the experience and outcome of pregnancy. Loretta Ross talks about how women of color have to negotiate their reproductive lives and systems that combine all of these interlocking forms of oppression. That includes poverty and racism and environmental degradation and sexism and homophobia. And so we cannot discuss pregnancy without understanding, considering, and acknowledging the fullness of one's journey before pregnancy and all of those systems of oppression that Black and Brown women particularly have to navigate. Um, Dr. Parrott and I sit on the Maternal Mortality Review Committee together, as well as some of my colleagues, but we also we often talk about how D.C. is 
the tale of two seas. It's the seat of our government. It's our national symbol of power, but it's also rich in histories that have been here. It is a unique and unforgettable culture that exists in the district, but it's often forgotten and pushed out and muted and walked over these voices. We know that east of the river, there's only three grocery stores. There's no hospital. Um, and so DC really is a case study in systemic and structural racism, intentional neglect, and reactionary politics. Akila, what are some of the key differences between the U.S. and some of the other countries we compare ourselves to? Well, you know, midwifery and doulas, right? So um, other high-income nations, peer nations, midwifery is much more integral into into their maternal health care ecosystem. And so when you look at the differences in terms of maternal outcomes, I mean, I'm talking sometimes up... We have we have maternal death rates that are like ten times some of our peer nations that have much, rely much more heavily on midwifery um, to help deliver babies. We are an obstetric hospital based system as opposed to a midwifery based system. But then also the integration of doulas, which you know doulas have been around since before they were called doulas, right? Like this is where we go to that kind of community support. And so when you've got a community of support and someone who is advocating for the needs and concerns of a birthing birthing person at what is one of their most vulnerable moments. It increases outcomes um, in a positive way. And so that those are some really key differences in how babies are born in the U.S. versus how babies are born elsewhere. But then also when we talk about social supports and that social network, right? Like, so I think Dr. Parrott mentioned paid time off. We don't, we don't give, you know, paid maternal leave, whereas a lot of other countries do. Postpartum visits, you know, within the past year or so, there's been a big push to increase Medicaid spending to 12 months postpartum. And that kind of, when we talk about continuity of care, whereas, you know, in a lot of other countries, you don't have to think, I just had a baby. Is my insurance getting ready to go out? Can I see the same doctor? Is my doctor going to change? Is my baby's doctor going to change? Like, you don't have to wrestle with all of those things and navigate and navigate such a littered landscape like you do in the U.S. And all of that plays a part, you know, in, in maternal health outcomes. And then just to the fact that it's not right, like it's it's not just the moment in time, but it's how you show up. So then if you've got this bifurcated system that you've been navigating prior to pregnancy, that also plays a part. And so it is it is this multifactorial system um, and how our society really is structured that ultimately leads to us having such deleterious health outcomes. Lauren E. Mills is a college-educated professional black woman who has given birth to three children in the United States. I can attest to many of the factors that contribute to high maternal mortality rates here, including hospital staff who refuse to listen when they are hurting you during exams and being spoken down to in patronizing ways by hospital staff that demonstrate the lack of respect they have for patients. And Victoria emails, my son was breached, so I had to have a C-section last year. There's almost no information, support, or rehab after after the surgery, I had to pay out of pocket to see a pelvic floor therapist after back pain was impacting my ability to care for my son. How can we have intensive rehab after other surgeries as a standard, but nothing after a C-section? 
We also got this email from Sujata who says cultural differences are also not taken into account. Since I had gestational diabetes, I was prescribed a diet of meat, especially beef and pork, even though it was clear I had an Indian diet and did not have an American diet. The health care provider was at a loss how to advise me and my differences as a patient. Dr. Parent, how does that come into play, a disconnect between medical providers and a specific patient's culture? It, it, it's a large and um, competing factor, I think, when we when we think about what it means to provide care that is culturally responsive, that is respective, respectful, excuse me, in our communities. This discordance, this demand um, that um, we other, the folks that we serve, has a significant impact. Uh, I'm an OBGYN. I provide clinical care in Washington, D.C., the city that I grew up in, the uh, in the community that made me. That is by design. That is a choice that I made because I believe being tied to your community uh, um, it shapes the way that you think about care and also the accountability around it. The medical system and the way that it's designed in this country means that you often are moving around every three to four years to provide care in a community that you may know nothing about uh, with a history that there is no requirement for you to learn. How can you take good care of people under those circumstances? So while we're thinking about ways to address maternal mortality, now is the time to transform medical education as well into something that actually serves the community because this is also dictating and shaping these negative and inequitable outcomes for many folks. Well, that takes us to this email from Katie who says, as a midwife, I also want to emphasize the role and necessity of transforming and integrating midwives into the healthcare system for our work and scope, providing primary and reproductive care from puberty to beyond menopause. Perinatal health outcomes are improved through a focus on lifespan care, but not all midwives are licensed to practice according to our full scope of education and certification. That must change. Aza, your, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, so one of the, I mean, one, I agree. Um, there was a mapping study that was done by the birth lab that looked at every single state in the U.S. that had integrations of midwives and the states who had the highest integration seen the best maternal health outcomes. And conversely, the states that had the lowest integration of midwives had the worst maternal health outcomes. And so it, it is critically important that midwives are heavily integrated into our care model. Um, I will say that D.C. is definitely making moves um, in that particular area, DC now has legalization for all three midwifery pathways. That's in certified nurse midwife, certified professional midwives, and certified midwives. And so this is setting the foundation to increase the accessibility of midwives in the district. Medicaid will cover all of those midwifery pathways, um, as well as you know, making sure that with our OBs and our MFM providers that we're all able to work cohesively in service of our families here in the district. Well, as we mentioned, um, healthcare advocates are pushing the federal government to extend Medicare postpartum coverage for 12 months after giving birth. 34 states and the District of Columbia have adopted this extension. That's according to the Kaiser Family Foundation. Uh, Dr. Parrott, how might that decrease the mortality rate? 
I think it's, you know, it's critical uh, in, in terms of decreasing the mortality rate. When we look at the makeup of healthcare providers, and particularly along racial and ethnic lines, we see that there are huge inequities and disparities there. Of all the midwives in this country, less than 2% are black. Uh, OBGYNs, it's, the number is 11%, but only 5% of physicians are black in this country. And we know that our outcomes are improved when care is provided in a racially and ethnically and linguistically concordant way. And so when we think about the pathways to care and the work that Oz is doing at Mama Toto's is a per perfect example of that, developing pathways for, for folks to be able to enter the workforce to expand it. I had the privilege of being trained in, an, in a wonderful obstetrics and gynecology residency program that had midwifery integrated into their care. And that transformed the way that I provided obstetric and gynecological care, but also the way that folks experienced it. So the more that we can do to expand these opportunities for people to have an equity in their choice uh, for their care delivery, the, the better our outcomes will be across the board. Well, this is certainly a story we will continue to cover here on 1A. That was Dr. Jamila Parrott. She's an OBGYN working in D.C. and the president and CEO of Physicians for Reproductive Health. Also with us, Akila Johnson, a reporter covering health disparities at the Washington Post, and Aza Nadari, the co-founder and executive director of Mama Toto Village. That's a collective of black birth workers in Washington, D.C. She also runs a private practice called Blue Sage Midwifery. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was Arfi Getty. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A. On the TED Radio Hour, in the middle school cafeteria, Ty Tashiro always sat with his equally nerdy buddies. The socially awkward kids who were the furthest thing from cool. And he often wondered, why am I so socially awkward and what am I going to do about that? Now Ty is a psychologist and expert on awkwardness, and he has some answers. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. You care about what's happening in the world. Let State of the World from NPR keep you informed. Each day, we transport you to a different point on the globe and introduce you to the people living world events. We don't just tell you world news, we take you there. And you can make this journey while you're doing the dishes or driving your car. State of the World podcast from NPR. Vital international stories every day. It's Been a Minute is a culture show you don't want to miss. Every week, we help you see the culture angle behind the headlines, the forces behind the trends, and the thinkers behind the next big thing. Tune in for the sharp cultural analysis and captivating interviews. Listen now to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.